Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. My guest today is Dr. Brooke Bassard. She's the author of Chew on This. I had the pleasure of meeting her at the most wonderful conference I think I've attended, the Plantrition Conference, and she has a wonderful book called Chew on This that we're going to talk about today. Please welcome her to the show. It's nice to see you again. Thank you so much, Chef AJ, and I'll put a picture of the book up for you guys to see. Um, and I appreciate you having me on today. My play, I could show it again because I love those graphics. Can you see yeah. that the, my light shines on it sometimes. Yeah. yeah the most fun with my illustrator, um, a young lady who um, she just does art on the side and I contacted her and we had a great time, you know, making all the illustrations for the book. I love it. I love the cover, how the, the, you know, the letters or the fruits and the vegetables, that sets really, really clever. I, you know, I'd like to talk a lot about your book and who it's for and what it's about and what inspired you to write it. But first, I want to know your story, not of becoming a doctor, but becoming a plant eater. Yeah, that happened much uh, later than going to medical school and residency. I um, started to have some very significant GI issues. Um Right after I had my second son, um, he was born in 2007. It was probably um, just a year after that where I started to have significant GI pain and even went to see a gastroenterologist, tried to really figure out what the problem was. And the only recommendation that he had was either taking Metamucil or starting on some drug that was in clinical trials that I would need to call in and report and, you know, help figure out whether or not this drug would be good for my symptoms, which were really gas, bloating, um, constipation. Probably if I had to define it now, it was probably IBS. But, um, but I really, I could not get to the bottom of it. And one day my sister-in-law, whose daughter suffered from significant um, allergies as a very young infant, she said, Brooke, do you think you might have a dairy allergy? And for some odd reason that had never crossed my mind. And I thought, huh, I'll try anything at this point. So I got off dairy and then we also identified some gums, some guar gum and xanthan gum. And so I made sure I didn't need anything with those. And my, my GI system got so much better just with those small changes. And then I started to dig into the whole, you know, really, why are we eating dairy in the first place? And I came across YouTube videos with Neil Barnard and um, Colleen Patrick Goudreau was a huge inspiration for me. Um, and I started to go down the path, as you know, well, AJ, and I've heard you talk about it with so many of your guests is just that, um, you know, once you start learning this stuff, it snowballs. And you realize that we don't need to be eating animals or any products that they make um, for our own consumption. So um, the journey was over the course of years. Um, and I slowly then transitioned to my family as well. And so I would say for, you know, probably over a decade now, I have been totally plant-based and they're probably close to a decade. Wow, that's fantastic. Talk about transitioning your family because that is hard for a lot of people. How old were your children at the time and was your husband on board? Um, so the kids were pretty young. They were 
um, I would say six and nine um, as we really started to make the transition. And I think the last, oddly, the last thing out for them was the dairy products. That's interesting that the thing that was most troublesome for you in the first, because I always tell people like, you know, that's what's so interesting about people that are vegetarian while they think they're, you know, doing good because they're not, you know, eating cows and pigs and chicken. That always seems to be the most problematic. And that's where I would always tell people to start, actually. Right, right. I think that the um, the thing was they didn't have any issues that we were trying to address. So when I became vegan, I really didn't want to bring any flesh in the house at all. And I guess the the dairy products were easier for me to deal with. Um, but then, you know, I really started to have this feeling of, I don't want these cows to be treated this way. And I don't want to take the milk from their babies. And I really just said to the family, I, I just said, I have learned some terrible information, some some terrible news that I need to share with you. And, you know, I need you to, to listen and go along with this with me. And they all did. And we ended up adopting some animals at a farm sanctuary down in Poolsville, Maryland. And we would go and visit uh, Clifford and Moses, the two cows that we adopted. And then we adopted, my mom adopted a sheep um, or a goat. It was a goat. Um, and and so we went as a family several times a year down to visit these animals at the animal sanctuary. And I think that really helped, um, you know, bring the whole message through of why we were eating this way. That's amazing. And it's that, that when, was there anything hard about it? Like, like certain things that your family didn't want to give up and were you, were you making delicious food so that it was easier? I do think I was making delicious food. <laughs> you are a food for life. You're a food for life cooking instructor. Yeah. So I read really well. I'm very good at reading directions and making recipes that, you know, people like you create. Um, I am not good at just, you know, freestyling it in the kitchen. I'm a little bit better now because I feel like plants just all sort of go together anyway. But um but I think the hardest thing was my husband and his coffee. The He could not find something to substitute for the cream. And I remember we were on our way to a wedding and we stopped at Starbucks and I got a soy latte and he got just a regular latte. And we were in the car driving along Chef AJ and it was about an hour into the trip. And I just said, buddy, I gotta talk to you about this. I am so uncomfortable riding in the car with this cow's milk sitting right next to me and you drinking it. And he never, he never had another one again. If only all husbands or spouses were that <laughs> considered. I mean, isn't that amazing? I, I really think it's amazing that he did that. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Had you ever heard about, a, I know you didn't learn this in medical school, but have you ever heard about a vegan or plant-based diet just in general before or had seen maybe forks over knives or read the China study or had any information at all? No, really, all I knew was that, you know, vegans wore Birkenstocks and, you know, had long braided hair. <laughs> you know what, that's, fun. that's so funny because I've been vegan almost 50 years. I've never owned a pair of Birkenstocks <laughs> and I never even had long hair. So that is funny. That yeah. is so funny. But part of my journey was definitely influenced watching Forks Over Knives, watching Game Changers, watching um, What the Health, 
those I think are so impactful. And I, I always recommend them to my clients. And when I'm talking to groups, I think, I think those documentaries are so valuable. Now you said recommend them to my clients. You're a doctor. You didn't say patients. So talk about the difference and about what you're actually doing as a doctor. Okay. Well, yes, I'm actually doing it as a health coach. And that's why I call them my clients and not my patients. So they, all of my clients are the patients of other doctors. And sometimes I collaborate with those doctors to help, you know, manage the care of these patients. Um, But but as my clients, I get to you know work with them for an hour. Sometimes I go to their house and cook with them. I mean, I, I feel like the range of services that I can offer and the length of time that I can give them is very, very different than what they can get from their physicians. And I think what I'm offering is also a lot more in terms of uh, behavior change and Um, just how to implement a plant-based diet as opposed to their doctors who are responsible for starting to lower their uh, prescription drugs, um, lower the amount of insulin that they're getting. Those like, that's what their doctor is there to do to manage um, the pharmaceutical side. And I feel like my role is to just you know, really listen to what their problems are, help them come up with solutions when they, you know, run, you know, hit roadblocks, um, things like that. How do you work with people in person, virtually? Uh, Most of it is virtual now. And I think thanks to the pandemic, you know, I'm able to, I got very comfortable working with people online. And now I have clients all over the country that I work with. And so we, we either see each other once a week, once a month, I have people that I see four or five times and then they're released. They're good to go. They got, they've got it down pat. I've got other people who like me to hold them accountable. So they check in with me once a month for, you know, four or five years, just making sure, I mean, I have people who are still ongoing who um, they just like to know I'm going to see Brooke at the end of the month. And I want to make sure that I've been doing well. And if not, at least I know that I can ask her for help or bring my questions. So, so how, and how did you transition from being a medical doctor, which you obviously still are to a health coach and why? Uh, well, there was a, a piece in the middle. So I didn't go straight from being a patient care doctor to being a health coach. In the middle, I actually became a personal trainer. And if you recall in the late 90s, which was when I was in my residency, people started to blame obesity on a lack of exercise. And I was very frustrated as an internal medicine resident, I was very frustrated watching people come to the clinic month after month with you know their weight just continuing to escalate diabetes progressing, heart disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And it was very, um, I don't know, it was just not satisfying for me. And I decided that I wanted to do something different. And so I left, um, I left medicine and I became a personal trainer and um, thought, well, if people need more exercise, 
that's what I'm going to give them. You know, I'm going to help them get more exercise. And um, interestingly, those clients, those personal training clients, as I learned about plant-based nutrition, they became my first set of nutrition clients. Um, so I was able to blend the two. And then I got to the point where I thought, you know what, this plant-based stuff is so amazing that that's all I want to do. And if somebody wants personal training services, like I'm happy to help them create a plan, but I don't spend time in the gym handing people weights anymore. Well, it's so cool because, you know, with all your, uh, you're so diversified that you technically could cook with your clients. You could work out with them, you know, I've done it all. I, yeah, I actually, I just love being with people and I love helping, helping people get healthy. So all of those are ways to do that. Do you ever miss patient care? No, I feel like I get the best of that world anyway, just by hanging out with my clients. What, was it difficult at first to get clients and how do you get clients? How do people find out about you and your services? Uh, I do a lot of teaching. So there's three, well, there's two community colleges and then another college here in Baltimore that they all offer um, lifelong learning classes. And so I offer, you know, a digestive health class or, you know, cardiovascular health class and people will sign up for those. And then often they, some of those students become my clients. And then the, you know, the rest is probably word of mouth. And sometimes people just find my website and reach out to me that way. I also teach for an organization called Get Set Up. I don't know if you've heard of that, but um, it's an international company that provides classes um, to, uh, I think anyone 55 and older. And I find that that age group is actually, um, it's they're actually easier to work with because they're not having to deal with the family as much. Uh, when they're trying to make a transition and they're at a stage in life where they have a little more bandwidth and um, ability to focus and try to do some different types of cooking. So I think that's, um, it's, it's a good age group. Nice. Well, tell, you know, as I look at you, you know, I'm trying, I play this game and some of the viewers do on Chef AJ Live, like who does the guests look like? A little bit, you remind me of Sybil Shepherd. remember her? Oh my gosh, I love, what was it, Moonlighting? Yeah, you kind of, yeah, what do you guys think? Am I, I, I'd love to play this game. It's crazy, <laughs> but yeah, you kind of remind me of her a little bit. So uh, tell us about the book. I had so much fun writing this book. Um, I First of all, I never thought I was going to be an author. I never thought I would write a book. I love books and I love to read and I love to dig through resources. Um, but I just had some clients over the course of, years asking me, when are you going to write a book? And I think it was, you know, sort of stem from the fact that people tend to like the way I explain things. And sometimes it's a little quirky or just a little different. And I thought, huh, maybe, maybe I should write a book. And I got an urge in August, no, April, April of 2022. And I just happened to get a catalog in the mail for our local community college and they were offering a class called writing a book. And I thought that's so interesting and timely. So I signed up for it and it was a great experience. I, first of all, I just joined it and I thought, 
what the heck, I'll just go see what this is about. I was scared, a little bit intimidated, didn't know what to expect. And I got in there and there's there were six six of us, our instructor and five students. And everybody had something different that they were working on. And you just read your pieces to each other and get feedback. And we had uh, someone in, my, in our group was writing about um, overcoming an anxiety disorder, panic disorder. Um, somebody was writing a, a novel about some paranormal, you know, experience. Uh, somebody was writing sort of their autobiography. So everything was very um, diverse in the class. But whenever I would read, people had so many questions. And nutrition is just a topic I feel like that everyone can relate to because everybody eats. So, um, so we had a lot of fun with it. Oh, we laughed till we cried, um, some of the days. And, um, so I, I took that class for, uh, maybe 12 weeks or so. And then I continued to work one-on-one -on -one with the writing instructor and she became my editor, um, which she does professionally. Um, and we had, we had a great time writing the book. That's neat. That's neat. So who's the book for? Well, the book, I feel like the best audiences for the book, ideally, I would love for people who are about to go into a professional healthcare school. Um, I feel like they would, it would be great summer reading before you started your first year of med school or your first year of nursing school. I think it would be fun to have have um, have people read it before they start with a career where they're working with people to improve their health. Um, but I think it's also a great book for people who are already plant-based, who want to know how to have conversations with friends and family members who are not plant-based. I think it provides just some good examples of how the conversations might go and, you know, might help you um, come up with answers to people's questions, particularly if somebody's, you know, asking you where do you get your protein and things like that. Um, but I also think, so my mother-in-law loves the book and she has bought copies and given them to all of her friends. So I think it, it hits a variety of people. Um, it's, it's not a, it's not a long book. It's 140 pages and it's got some illustrations and, you know, I tried to make it fun and easy. And, um, so I think, you know, it's, it, it could hit a diverse population. Nice. Are there any recipes in the book? There are not recipes. Um, I do mention food and I mention the ingredients in things when people are cooking together, but I purposefully did not put recipes in because again, I'm just not a chef and not to discredit myself for, you know, my ability to put food together. But <laughs> I feel like there's so many people like you and um, other, other chefs who have books out there that have great recipes and, um, I just didn't feel like mine should include those. Nice. Well, they must have been good enough to get your family to get on board. <laughs> Again, Sh Chef AJ, um, I think one of your dressings is uh, a favorite in my family. And my son, actually, he just started his first year at Tulane. And he called me about 15 minutes before we were going to go on. 
and I hadn't talked to him all week. And I said, I'm about to go on Chef AJ. And he goes, be Chef AJ? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is so cute. That is yeah. so cute. Is your book on Audible? Uh, it will be by the end of the year. And I, I know I know you're an Audible fan. I um, love it because I can do it while I'm on the bike. Did you do the, the, the voice acting yourself? So I am doing the introduction, the poem that I wrote about how we got into this mess. And then I'll do um, sort of the um, the few sections right at the end, the 12 chapters that have the characters um, and the little vignettes, the stories, those are going to be done by, they are being done by a voice actor that I was introduced to after I gave a book talk in Herndon. And um, this young lady, her voice is so beautiful and so um, just upbeat and I love the way she reads and it just made the characters really come to life for me. So she's going to read um, the actual uh, vignettes. Nice. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, how long did, again, did it take you to write the book? Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a little over a year to write it, get it edited, get it, um, you know, ready to, to put up on Amazon. Yeah. Can you give us some major themes of the book or maybe just an overview? Sure. I mean, I think the major theme of the book is to eat more plants. You know, I think as you read each chapter, it just becomes clear that plants are where the nutrients are. Plants are where the health promoting phytochemicals are. And, you know, the, the meat and the fish, those are just the middlemen for those nutrients. So I think, uh, yeah, the theme of the book really is eat more plants, <laughs> just to keep it simple. Um, yeah, I think, did you have another question there? You said, what was the major theme? And yeah, like a brief overview and what are some of the major themes and um, who, who do you think the target audience is and what does somebody take away from reading your book? So, um, so a brief overview of the book, I for the audience to, uh, for your audience to understand. So when I wrote this, um, I've got 12 chapters in here and each chapter is about a specific, either macronutrient, the micronutrients or another topic that comes up all the time that people really, um, need to dig a little deeper into, because I feel like we have terms that get thrown around all the time and people don't really understand um, at the next level and feel and like in order to get enough confidence to really make the right decision and not feel like I need more protein. Right. So like the first chapter is about protein and the subtitle is a big misunderstanding. So what I try to do in that chapter is help people understand that protein is made up of amino acids. And when we eat protein, we're not just ingesting that protein. So if I eat myosin, which is a muscle fiber off of a cow and I swallow it, I'm not putting myosin in my body. It's not like I, now I have myosin and it's like going to say, oh, what muscle should I join? Right. So we consume that, that um, protein, whether it's, you know, we would want to prefer to eat it from a plant. So we eat that protein. It's going to break down into individual amino acids get absorbed. And then our body's going to decide what it wants to do with those amino acids. I think one of the best examples currently is people who are consuming collagen. 
So they're taking these collagen pills thinking that they're adding collagen to their body, but they're not. They're just adding the amino acids that make up collagen to their body. And then their body can decide, and do I want to make collagen with these amino acids or do I want to make antibodies because so-and-so was sick and there's a virus that's floating around? Or do I want to make hormones? Maybe I need to make some insulin today. Or do I want to make um, you know, my own uh, myosin because I had a great strength training workout? So I'm hoping that these conversations help people dive a little deeper into these particular topics. So I've got protein and carbs and fat, vitamins and minerals. I've got a chapter that's totally dedicated to inflammation. Um, one that's dedicated to bacteria. And I love this chapter because I start with two characters named Itsy and Bitsy, who are um, microbes that are living in this um, gal's stomach. And so Heidi goes into um, the drugstore and asks for a probiotic. And Itsy and Bitsy are down there in the stomach with a megaphone. There's a cute little drawing that um, Dorothy did of a bacteria with a megaphone shouting, um, we're down here. You don't need to take any. We're down here. Just feed us, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, bring these parts of our body to life so that people can get a better understanding of what's going on. That's cute. I love it. Thank you. Let's yeah. see. What other, if you guys have any questions for Dr. Brooke, please put them in the chat. So what is different about your book than say other books in the nutrition space? Well, I think it's, um, it's very light reading. I would say some of the books in the nutrition space that I, I love so many of them, but I hear from friends and family members that they're too dense, that they're too scientific, that, um, you know, they read a chapter, but they put it down, they didn't pick it back up. So my goal when I wrote Chew on this was to create something that you could read in an afternoon that has these individual chapters. So if you just wanted to read a chapter at a time while you're, you know, sitting somewhere waiting for somebody or waiting for an appointment, you could just read it. Um, it's got a lot of fun illustrations in it because I think that helps hold people's attention, you know, when you have pictures and you have color within the page. Um, so I think that sets it apart from the other books. I think also um, when I think about the stages of change for people, you know, when, when we talk about pre-contemplation and contemplation and uh, let's see, the third stage is planning and then the fourth stage is action and then the fifth stage is maintenance. Um, I feel like chew on this can hit people in that pre-contemplation to contemplation stage. Whereas a lot of nutrition books, they sort of need to be at the next phase already in order to even want to pick the book up or dig into it. They need to be ready to uh, make a plan or put something into action. And, and that's, you know, when those books become even more valuable. So when I wrote chew on this, I I was thinking of it as a stepping stone to get people to those next books because I recommend those books all the time. I love so many of them, whether it's Proteinaholic or um, your book, Unprocessed, 
or, um, you know, any of Colin Campbell's work, um, any of Dr. Barnard's work. Like, I think I was hoping that this book could get people to step, you know, to take that next step to get those books, which I think are so valuable, have so much great information in them. Yeah. Do you like the process of writing a book? Do you think you might write another one? I definitely liked the process. Um, I, I, my editor is urging me to write another one about implementation, but I feel like those books are out there. And I think the reason why it took me a while to write you on this in the first place is because I was trying to really figure out what was missing. I was trying to figure out something that was so different from all those other wonderful books that are out there. Um, so I would need to really come up with a new idea, I think, in order to be compelled to write the next book. But but I did enjoy the process. Um, I, I thought it was, uh, it was fun. It's rewarding. It's, yeah. So who is your typical client? Who, who is seeking your services for the most part? Or is it a wide range of people? It is a pretty wide range. I would say a typical client would be someone in their 50s or 60s who has high blood pressure, obesity, and maybe is pre-diabetic or diabetic. Pretty much everyone. (laughs) (laughs) But at this certain age and stage in their life where they're like, okay, I feel like this is not going to turn around. This is getting worse. It's not getting better. It's not even staying the same. It's getting worse. And I need to do something about it because the clock's ticking. Um, I think, the, I mean, those are the people who, who come to me and say, hey, can you help me, you know, try to reverse this or even just stop it where it is. Um, and I think um, one of the things I, I see a lot with my clients is they're on CPAP for their sleep apnea. And for some reason, that device, I think I think because you've got to have it on during the night, it annoys someone else if they're in the room with you. Um, you wake up in the morning, you have that massive mark around your mouth from the, the, um, the piece sitting over your mouth throughout the night. Um, I could imagine that getting old and getting, you know, to the point where you're like, I really don't want to use this anymore. I think what happens is that doctors tell people, okay, you've got sleep apnea, you need to go on a CPAP machine. And they don't talk to them as much about losing weight, but they also don't talk to them about the fact that they're going to need to be on that CPAP machine the rest of their life if they don't change their lifestyle. And then after a certain number of months or years, it all of a sudden dawns on somebody that, oh my God, am I going to live like this forever? And then they reach out and think there's got to be another way. Yeah. Yeah. So how does being a medical doctor help you as a health coach or does it? Oh, it definitely does. Um, Because one thing that's great is the ability just to have easy conversations with my clients, doctors about 
you know, where they are and where they're headed. Um, and I think, you know, when somebody brings me a list of their prescriptions and we talk about their diagnoses, like it's just very easy for me to understand the underlying mechanism and the process. And um, I think it gives it gives my clients more confidence as well um, in having me be a part of their team, having gone to medical school and, you know, done part of my residency. I think it's just, it makes them feel a little more comfortable. I mean, it's, it even did when I was a personal trainer. People loved that. They, you know, for some reason, it's just, um, just a wealth of knowledge that you wouldn't otherwise have and an understanding of the human body and physiology that, you know, you really can't get elsewhere. Nice. Yeah. So here's a question from Dixie. What do you recommend to your clients to maintain a weight loss? So let's say they've already lost weight, but how do you recommend they maintain it? Well, I guess I'd have a lot of questions about what she's currently doing and if she's having trouble, trouble maintaining it. But I think um, in, in one of the chapters of Chew on This, I talk a lot about not having to count calories anymore if you can just understand calorie density. And yeah, and I know you talk a lot about that, Chef AJ, but I think calorie density is, you know, it's sort of the, the holy grail of figuring out how to maintain your weight. Yeah. I mean, so many people, I, you know, even they, they just revert back to weighing and measuring thinking that that's the answer. And I don't see people, I see them being successful if they can continue it, but I don't see that approach being successful for most people long-term. And I don't think it's a good way to live, like being tied to, you know, numbers and scales and, it's just, it's not very fun. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's a freedom about understanding the fact that if foods have a lot of fiber and water, they're not going to have a lot of calories, but they can still, they'll have a lot of nutrients. Um, and therefore you'll feel full because the water and the fiber help you feel full. Um, but you'll still get all the the macronutrients and the micronutrients that you need and you'll be able to maintain your weight. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you said you mostly work with people more behaviorally than even like, I guess, medically in, in a way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I feel like the behavior is the main issue is, you know, do you have triggers that make you want to eat? Do you have, um, just the behavior of going to lunch with your friends and figuring out what to get when you're with them. If you're, you know, in an office setting and you, and you walk every day somewhere for lunch or you go out with friends on the weekend, I feel like there's just uh, making, making choices and making educated choices is really at the, at the crux of the whole um, solution. Do you, so I, I'm curious, like, how do you work with them that way? Like, I make myself very available. So when people start with me, um, they have my cell phone number. And I think the greatest time to make an impact is when somebody is in a situation where they don't know the answer. 
So I tell them, text me if you're at a dinner and you want to take pictures of the menu and send it to me. Text me if you're at the grocery store and, you know, you don't know what to choose. Um, you know, I think it's sort of uh, a hand holding. I hold their hand, help them figure out how to start to make these decisions. And then it becomes um, so much easier for them. And they start to understand how to make these decisions on their own. So they really only need me for a couple weeks. And I think just telling them that I'm there and that I'm available uh, is comforting. And, and they know that they can get the answer and, you know, make the right decision. And then all of a sudden, you know, it becomes more second nature and they're able to do it on their own. Hmm. How long do generally people work with you for? That's the, probably the most variable uh, answer. And that, I mean, some people, they'll have a one hour session with me and they just come, I think they've already done a lot of research on their own. They come to me with a list of questions. I answer them and they're good to go. The people who come to me who have, um, who have an immediate situation, like they've just been diagnosed with type two diabetes. I would say those um, clients work with me from anywhere from three weeks to a year would be a typical range. And it really just depends on how fast they're able to um, sort of change what they're eating and feel comfortable, you know, making plant-based foods. And for some people, it's super easy, particularly if they have that support at home. There's one um, individual that I'm thinking of who his wife did all the cooking. And when he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and he told her and she said, oh, well, you know, I'll just make whatever Brooke says. And, and she was a great cook. And I even, you know, she, she developed or found most of the recipes. And I just said, oh yeah, those sound good. And I mean, they turned his diabetes around. He was originally, um, I think it was 9.2 or 9.4% for his, um, hemoglobin A1C. And, um, you know, just within six months, he had his hemoglobin A1C under 5%. I mean, it was the most tremendous difference I have ever seen. But um, but they were locked in. And I, I have never seen a couple as locked in as they were. And um, it was a beautiful result. Are most of your clients local or can they live anywhere or do they live anywhere? They can live anywhere. Um, I would say most of my clients don't live in Maryland anymore. I used to have more local clients and it was fun going to their houses and cleaning out their pantries and the refrigerators and um, cooking with them. But um, you know, ever since the pandemic and I started to work with people all over the country, I've got clients in Washington state and Texas and South Carolina, Florida. Yeah, they're sort of just all over the place. Somebody's asking, did you ever practice as a physician? And did you like that at all? Um, the only practicing that I did was as a resident. So when you're a resident in internal medicine and other and other uh, fields of medicine, uh, you get your own patients in the clinic at the university healthcare system. 
at UVA where I was. Um, and so I saw those patients every three months in the clinic. Um, but I never, you know, had my own practice, you know, after that. Right. So you, you, you made this decision early. Pretty early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. About as early as you can. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you know, it was the right one for you. I definitely knew it was the right one for me. Yeah, I and I often think about um, Dean Ornish because he talks about how depressed he was. I think he was depressed in medical school. Uh, for me, it hit during my residency, and um, it was intense. And I, I, it was just a sign to me that it was not a good fit. And what I do now just involves so much joy and so much happiness. Um, unfortunately, when you practice medicine, a lot of times you, you have to give bad news. And it turns out that me giving bad news is very bad news. Like <laughs> I don't do it well. And, um, I just, uh, I, I ached from it and it, it caused a significant depression. Well, it's good that you, I mean, if more people knew that in terms of whatever their job was or, or marriage, like, people would be a lot happier, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just part of uh, listening to yourself and, you know, doing what you need to do to get to the place that's going to make you happy. Absolutely. There's a couple of questions in the chat. Where did the chat go? I saw a cute dog walk by a little bit ago. Oh, there she is. She's passed out behind me. So, yeah, that's my dog, Amiri. I have German shepherds. Yeah. <laughs> So Honey says, do you cover, do you talk a lot, any about electrolytes in any of the book, any of the chapters? Do you mention anything about electrolytes? Yes. Yes. I have um, a a group of young people who are uh, on a softball team together and they go after work. And um, there's a great conversation about electrolytes in that chapter. So, yeah. Nice. So, but you're not telling them to go drink Gatorade, right? <laughs> Correct. Then this is the problem is that I think somebody brought a sports drink to the field. And earlier that day, I uh, one of the characters had already had a conversation about nutrition with this individual. And when she gets to the field and sees that he's drinking a sports drink, she's like, what are you doing? So, and then they go into, you know, more detail about what electrolytes are and, what are our best sources for electrolytes and those sorts of things. Nice. Thank you. Uh, Jennifer who's watching live says, can you touch on your thoughts about inflammation? Oh, inflammation. Yeah. So the inflammation is chapter two of the book and I put it um, up near the front because I think it is so important and inflammation, you know, we can have acute inflammation or chronic inflammation. Acute inflammation happens when, we have um, an injury, like we sprain our ankle or um, we get a cold. Any of these things create this acute inflammatory response. And it's interesting because um, so many people still will put ice on something when they have an acute injury. But the problem with that is it might be good for pain relief, but it slows down blood flow to an area. And the reason that something gets inflamed is because it wants, you know, to deliver more blood cells, more nutrients to the area in order to help it heal. 
So it doesn't really make sense to put something cold on it because that will constrict the blood vessels and not allow those cells and those nutrients to get to their destination. Surely there are some times when ice is valuable, but I would say for the most part, people overuse ice for acute inflammation. Now, chronic. And I was just saying, I never liked ice. I always preferred heat. And I've had physical therapists that say ice isn't as good. Oh, good. It's, that's good. Yeah. I feel like the word is, you know, starting to finally spread. But I think when I was in medical school, one of my mentors um, who used to ride bikes with my husband, my husband was in med school with me too. Um, I remember him saying, I don't know why people are icing. And we were all like, why is he saying that? Like, you know, this is crazy, crazy talk. But, um, but yeah, it turns out that it's better to, you know, leave the blood vessels dilating and bringing all those nutrients to the source or to the spot of injury. Um, so chronic inflammation happens chronically over a long period of time. And the problem with that is that you've created this very low grade inflammatory response that it damages you know, tissues in our body because it's just going on and on and on and on. And so chronic inflammation is thought to be sort of the underlying cause of many of these chronic diseases that we suffer from, whether it's cardiovascular disease um, or, um, you know, all of the autoimmune diseases that are happening um, and continue to rise. Um, all of that happens when we have chronic inflammation. Yeah, you mentioned, so your husband's a doctor? So he um, also ended up leaving um, healthcare as a physician. Uh, he did, uh, I think, four years of general surgery. And then he ended up going to business school at UVA at Darden and now works in healthcare investing. So um, I feel like, you know, even though we both went to medical school and we don't practice medicine, we still use our knowledge, you know, for the purposes that, that we enjoy at this point. Yeah. That's just so interesting. But uh, did you guys meet in medical school? We did. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe that's why you both ended up going there. <laughs> the funny thing is um yeah I, I uh, when I first met him when I got to med school and we had like our first orientation day I saw him AJ and I said I said do I know you from somewhere you look so familiar and he said um I don't think so and to this day he thinks it was a pickup line and it really wasn't like, I really felt like I knew him from the moment I saw him. So strange. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> and the fact I think that he was a doctor, maybe do you think that could be one of the reasons he was so, uh, why he was able to, you know, adopt this diet without like, you know, fighting you, for example. Yeah, I think, so I'm a huge reader on PubMed. Uh, the National Library of Medicine, where all the articles get stored for all the studies that are done. And uh, I am known for bringing a lot of a lot of information to our discussions. So I think, yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of science. There's so much science behind it. How can he, you know, not embrace it? He's a smart guy and 
you know, now he teaches all the people that work at his office about plant-based eating. So that's fantastic. He's spreading the word. Do you ever help since you're not only working with people locally anymore, or even maybe when you did, do you ever help them find a physician of like mind? It might be easier for them to work with. Um, It is so hard to find plant-based physicians. Um, And so normally I just send people down to the Barnard Medical Center um, in DC, which is not that far for us. So I think that's, um, you know, the easiest solution and, and a great solution. So that's, that's a win. Right. They can see them in person, but so, so many more doctors are actually doing things virtually now. Oh, virtually. Yeah. So actually, so at the Barnard Medical Center, they do do telehealth, but, um, but yeah, you make a good point because there are, there are more and more who are, who are doing things virtually like um, Dr. Marbus um, just saw her recently. Love life telehealth. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like yeah, there are, there are a lot of good resources now. So much easier than it ever was. Yeah. Yep. We have a question from a live viewer. I just saw it a second ago. Hold on. I'm sorry. I was looking. Okay. The question is, put question marks first guys, because it helps me find them. It was about whether that you look very fit and whether or not, uh, here it is. Um, uh, MJ, and are you Luca's mom, MJ, or a different MJ? I'm curious if you still work out and what is your favorite way of staying active? I love to work out. Yes. Um, I think my favorite way to stay active is to hike outside when I can. I love nature, but, um, but I also think it's so important to strength train. And so I do strength train at least three days a week, um, with as heavy a weight as I can manage. I think, um, you know, throwing around some iron is a very good way to, you know, keep our bones healthy, but also help prevent sarcopenia which is, you know, our muscles just get smaller as we get older. And so um, that's inevitable, but the rate at which our muscle declines is not inevitable. So we can have some influence over that. And I think it's important to challenge our muscles and challenge our bones by lifting heavy weights. Um, And then the other thing I do, I do enjoy um, spinning, like indoor bike riding. Um, yeah, I'm not somebody who would ever ride a bike outside. I think it's not very safe here in Baltimore County to do that. <laughs> we don't really have bike lanes, but um, but I do enjoy biking. Yeah, but I've never been a runner. Yeah, mostly strength training and hiking are my two favorites. Yeah. Do you, what? Do you have a Peloton? I do. I have just a regular one without the thing. But I was on the bike two hours today, and I didn't even know it because I was. It was a business call, and the next thing I knew, I was like, "Shoot, I've been spinning for two hours." I'm like Dr. Gregor on the bike. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Uh, that's great though. I recently, um, taught my mom used to have a treadmill and she moved and, um, she couldn't fit the treadmill in her new house. And I said, you should really think about getting a bike. And she did, and she loves it. So I feel like, I mean, that's a a huge win just to keep her moving. Because it's all weather. The only thing the spin bike doesn't really do much for your, um, you know, your upper body. Other than that, it's great, you know? Yeah, that's why we got to do our strength training. Yeah. How many hours a day do you devote to working out? Um, I would say between an hour and an hour and a half. 
Um, yeah, sometimes, yeah, part of that time, I like to do just a short yoga, um, like a, a little yoga routine. I don't, I'm not super flexible, so I don't do the kind of yoga like I used to try to do when I'd go to the yoga studio and, you know, people would be bending in all sorts of crazy positions and I would think, oh, yoga's not for me. So I would try it like once a year and then I would say, oh, I, that's, I like my body doesn't do that. And then um, on the Peloton, I found the instructor, Ross, who really talks about biomechanics. And it's really almost as if it's yoga, but it's stretching. And um, I find that that real help. It's really helpful. That's great. So every guest gets this question, whether they're a doctor or not. What do you eat in a day? Uh, I love oatmeal. So I always... Um, I start my day with oatmeal, um, but really I should say I end my day with making the oatmeal. So before, usually at dinner time, while something's cooking or, you know, I'm waiting for something, I'll just put a half a cup of oats and a half a cup of soy milk um, in a bowl, mix it up. Uh, last night I added um, some pumpkin puree along with some cinnamon and nutmeg and frozen blueberries. And then I just put that in the um, refrigerator. And then in the morning, the blueberries aren't frozen anymore. And I can either eat it cold or I can heat it in the microwave. And I usually crumble um, about five to seven walnut halves on the top. Um, and that's usually my breakfast. Um, lunchtime, I usually have salad greens with beans and potatoes. And then you know, random stuff from the fridge, whether it's cucumbers and shredded carrots or bean sprouts or whatever I can find. I just make sort of a big salad and I put um, uh, um, balsamic vinegar on the top. Um, and then dinner, a lot of times my dinner has greens um, as the base, but um, we make a lot of, I would say chili in the winter and different kinds of chili, whether it's, you know, beans or sweet potatoes or, um, you know, a mixture. And then, um, uh, let's see, we like lasagna, um, different curries. Um, we really like curries. When we order dinner, usually once a week, I like to order dinner uh, from a local sushi um, place. I tried to roll sushi, but I have, have never done it well. But I love um, veggie sushi. Um, and then I just usually put that over a bed of greens, and I call it a sushi salad. Well, that sounds good. Do you use an instant pot? I do. Yes, actually. So yeah, I just made um, a bean soup yesterday in the instant pot. Um, Most of your clients struggle with the actual cooking of the food and do they need some knowledge there? And is that something you help them with? Uh, they often do. Um, and yes, I, I help them. And sometimes like if we're virtual, um, I'll just have us both in the kitchen together cooking something. And sometimes it's as simple as we just need to be cutting something. So um, I've had clients where I'll say, okay, let's start by adding some chopped onion. And then they'll say, oh, how do I chop the onion? So like, we really have to back it up and start there. Um, but again, like we can just cook together. Like I can make my dinner the same time they're making their dinner and we just do it together. It's actually more fun that way. <laughs> Wow, that's actually cool. I like yeah. that idea. Let's see if there's, if you have any more questions, put them in the 
chat. No, do you have an air fryer? I do. I do. Um, I have the Kosari. Is that how you say it? Kosari air fryer. Um, and I got it a couple of years ago. And then they had that massive recall where they recalled like 2 million units and you had to cut the cord off and send it back. And it was devastating because I'm thinking this thing is just going to the landfill. But um, but I think they had caused some home fires. And then so they made a new air fryer um, and the new one is even even better, like just the whole way it's laid out. Um, but I love the air fryer. I put um, potatoes in there, I would say at least five days a week. Like I just chop them up into, um, you know, bite-sized pieces and, and put them in the air fryer. Uh, but I'll, I'll do so many different kinds of vegetables in the air fryer. I just love it. Yep. I think so too. I've never heard of the brand you had. I'll look into that. We have a lot of people, you've ever heard of the Breville? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have a lot That's of Breville products. Yeah. yeah they're good. Uh, Donna says, what's your favorite grain salad? My favorite grain salad. It would be something with farro. Um, and then probably pretty simple with, uh, I would say, asparagus and cherry tomatoes and, you know, a nice balsamic. I think that would be a great grain salad. Mm. Oh, I didn't see this question. I apologize. Uh, Sheila or Sheila, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's spelled a little bit differently. How can people get off of a CPAP machine? Uh, it depends on a lot of underlying factors. Um, sometimes people have sleep apnea for reasons that you can't really get off of the CPAP machine. But for a lot of people, um, obesity is one of the main drivers of needing it and getting yourself down to um, a lower weight and ideally an ideal body weight um, would likely get you off of the CPAP machine. But unfortunately for some people, they do have kinds of sleep apnea where um, their weight is not really the main issue. Great. Thank you. Uh, there's a viewer that's asking, is resistance, is resistance band training good enough for maintaining muscle health? Or do you need weights as well? Um, I think you can do it with resistance uh, resistance bands, but you just need to make sure that the muscle gets fatigued. So it's less about the tool and more about, um, about the feeling in your muscles at the end of the workout or the end of the set. So if you're doing something and it doesn't feel much different from carrying your groceries, then you're not gonna stimulate the change that you need in order to build muscle. But if you're using resistance bands and you have enough resistance and you're doing it to the point where you feel like trying to do two or three more reps would be extremely challenging, um, then you're gonna stimulate the muscle. Yep, that makes sense. Well, what's nice about resistance bands, they can take them anywhere. Well, they probably could take weights too, but you know. That might make your suitcase way too much though. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Exactly. But a lot of times, you know, gyms have, you know, uh, or, or hotels have gyms or places to work out. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, and even, even sometimes kitchens or places they can cook their own food. Yeah. The other thing about um, resistance bands versus dumbbells, it's just a very different kind of um, a feeling that you get. Like um, the, when you're using bands, 
you know, if, don't let the band pull you back. Like you have to resist that backward phase. So it's not like the band's just contracting and sending you into that, a jerky motion. So you just have to be a lot more thoughtful when you're using resistance bands. Yep, absolutely. Do you, when people work with you, um, how do they find out about you? Like, obviously on the show, they can look in the chat in the show notes, but like, do you ever like just do a short appointment to see if you're a good fit or how, how would, if somebody's interested just based on watching you today, like what's the best way to get started? Yeah, I often do like a 30 minute consult at no charge just to see if we're a good fit and if I can offer the services that somebody needs. Um, so typically people just reach out to me um, by email um, or through my website. Sometimes people reach out to me through my PCRM page on um, the PCRM Food for Life uh, part of their website. Um, but yeah, people just reach out and they say, I'm interested in working with you. And, you know, then we just email back and forth and find a time that works. Do you still teach food for life classes? I do. Mm -hmm. Nice. And how often, and how do people find out about those? Those are like a series of classes, right? Yes. So, um, some of them are, um, open to the public and some are private where, an organization will hire me uh, to do food for life classes for their company. So I just finished uh, my food for life series that was open to the public. Um, and that was my last one for this year. But when I have new ones that are open to the public, they'll be posted on the food for life um, page on PCRM under my name. Nice. Yeah. Here's a question from a live viewer. Interesting question. Where did it go? It's about lungs. Okay. And harmonicas. Huh. Yeah, it really helps when they put question marks first. So would learning the harmonica or something similar help lung function? That is a very interesting question. Yep. Never had it before. That, yeah. Um, I certainly don't think it would hurt your lung function. Um, and it certainly seems like it would uh, benefit your brain. So I don't know about the lung function, but I, I you know. Well, we're going to have a pulmonary doctor on hopefully before the end of the year, Dr. Roger Schwelt of MedCram, and maybe you could bring that question back. <laughs> they definitely should, because I think he would think that was an interesting question for sure. Yeah, that's neat. Well, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you for uh, helping people, you know, with their health journeys. Well, AJ, thanks so much for um, having me on. And, you know, I really appreciate everything you do for the whole plant-based world. I think you're phenomenal. Oh my God. You're so kind. Thank you, Dr. Brooke. It was such a nice chat we had. And if people want to follow you on social media, the links are below, but I noticed you have two Instagram pages. Is there one that is maybe more uh, you would direct people more to? So educated eating is the one that I direct more people toward. Um, it's the one I created when I started writing the book. And um, yeah, it has more of the, um, you know, information about plant-based eating. Great. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, AJ.
Take care. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time for Plant Fueled with Dr. Nikki Davis. She's going to be making three sisters chili in the Instant Pot. Take care, everyone, and thanks for watching. Bye.